0: It's been a difficult year for crypto investors. Bitcoin has fallen from a record high of about $68,000 last year to below $20,000 this week, dragging the rest of its digital coin cohorts with it. Judging by the current market, the crypto rollercoaster ride is far from over, dragged down by this year's equity bear market, global economic uncertainty, higher interest rates, and a sharp rise in the cost of living around the world. Many novice investors might be ruining the day they jumped on the crypto bandwagon, believing they could make a fast buck on the back of Bitcoin F or even meme coins such as Doge and Shiba Inu as they shot to the moon. What a disappointing ride it's been. However, rather than panic selling and risk losing a substantial chunk of your investment, you might want to consider some other strategies such as holding on for dear life or hodling, or even staking your coins to earn passive income. But how do you do this? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Felicity Glover, the personal finance editor at The National. Joining me today is Stefan Roost, the founder of blockchain development house Laguna Labs and former chief executive of Bitcoin.com, who's here to talk about investing in crypto for the long term. But before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to Pocketful of Dirhams on your favourite podcasting app. Welcome to the show, Stefan.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me here, and, and glad to be at the show and have, yeah, and investing the time to do this.
0: You're welcome. So I'm sure I'm not the only crypto investor who's made some typical amateur errors when it comes to deciding on my crypto strategy. But I have to say, it has been a pretty bad year for crypto. What's been driving prices down?
1: Well, two things. It's been a bad year for crypto if you just look at it from the start of the calendar year to today. Um, and in fact, if you go back even to December or earlier, but if you think about it, crypto actually started in 2009 with Bitcoin um, or and has come from nowhere, a hobbyist sort of project, if you will, or an engineering project, to all of a sudden being at the center stage when Jerome Powell goes in front of a Senate hearing and says that cryptocurrencies are influencing the monetary decisions at that level. So it's come a long way in just 10 years as a currency, number one. So And it's come a long way in terms of price value. So if you think of Bitcoin then was in the cents range and now it's in the $20,000 range, that horizon over 10 years has quite been, represents quite a increase in price. However, what's happened in this year is really when, and it actually started going back to 2020 when the government started printing a lot of money. And over the course of the last two to three years, governments around the world have printed some 20 to $30 trillion in new money that has entered into the market. And there was a study that I was reading where it said actually 95% of that new money injected into the market went into securities. And so it didn't go into building new infrastructure. It didn't go into creating new jobs it went into stock prices, it went into alternative assets. And a part of those alternative assets is crypto. And if we take, let's say of that $30 trillion and we said five or 10% of that money, even if it's just 5%, that's still one and a half trillion dollars that went into the crypto markets, which saw the big boom over the last two years that drove up the prices in crypto, through to maybe November last year 2021 and so what happened as soon as the interest rate starts going up funds are pulling money out of the crypto as of the crypto asset class because that's considered a high risk class uh, I've got to pull that money out and make sure that I'm rebalancing my portfolio and so a lot of those funds, were extracted out of the market. And that pushed a huge liquidity crisis into a very early stage, nascent sort of DeFi market, as well as I call it the hi fi market, where you had a lot of hi fi players, um, which are hybrid finance players uh, that have been acting as the intermediary between traditional finance and decentralized finance. And those Hi-Fi players are all regulated entities. Um, they are uh, they've got bit licenses. They're licensed financial managers uh, in each of those individual entities. And they were really at the crunch of liquidity, you know, um where some of those funds were locked up in decentralized finance smart contracts that only adhere. And have policies to release funds when certain criteria are met. Um, they have committed those funds into um, a validator staking, where they're locked up for 21 days before they can extract it out of the market. Um, and you have a waiting period before when you can retrieve those funds. So that all put pressure on the liquidity markets themselves. And ultimately, when there's not much liquidity, the price tends to go up or down significantly, really quickly. That was sort of one of the reasons, not to mention the fact that these hi-fi entities in the middle, these hybrid finance entities that were acting as middlemen between the traditional finance and the decentralized finance were really, um, yeah, maybe not acting um, as appropriate as they should have been. And ultimately, misappropriating some funds or not having funds available, um, and there is a fine balance which is still to TBD. But there's a fine balance between illiquid and insolvent, right? And and so if they're insolvent, that means they've been misappropriating the funds. And if they're just not liquid, it's just a matter of waiting it out until they have the liquidity uh, and available, uh, you know, available. Um, and so I think that all compounded into really driving the prices down significantly. And a lot of the investors, yeah, just sort of waiting for, you know, um, getting really upset with this asset class and, and, and sort of retrieving from there and waiting for a different set of maturity. That said, all of the DeFi protocols, these decentralized finance protocols, have really been holding their ground, uh, working towards their governance policies and the smart contracts that are governing those policies. So, um, the system worked, but in essence, in summary, money was pulled out of the system uh, which really quickly, which meant the prices were going down. And that brought down a number of different companies, which further created insecurity in the industry, which further extracted more money out of the market. So it was a bit of a, uh, yeah, a dominoes effect that took place.
0: Absolutely, and I'm guessing crypto companies like Celsius, for example, can't be helping the market as well.
1: No, it was it was it was companies like Celsius which I put into the high fi category. It was Blockfi. Um, it was yeah. Um, Voyager, you know, Voyager had an FDIC logo on there um, on, on their website. You have BlockFi, which claims to have the Bit license. Uh, you have Celsius, which is managed with all these uh, financial institutions that were helping them, and these custodians that were helping them, and were managed by professional finance managers. You had Three Arrows Capital. Um, that was all, you know, a hedge fund licensed out of Singapore. Um, and then you had Amber Group, I mean, Babel Group, you know, all out of Asia. Um, so it was just a, a whole slew of different um, participants that that really didn't help the ecosystem.
0: Absolutely. I know it's extremely hard to predict the rollercoaster world of crypto. <laughs> But, I mean, do you have any insights on where it's headed, you know, for the final few months of the year? I mean, is there anything for investors, retail investors, to look forward to?
1: I've been through this three or four times already. You know, there's been a number of big rises and then big drops. Um, I'm, I'm generally in it for the long run. Uh, so, I look at these opportunities as what we call DCAing. Uh, which is dollar cost averaging. So I find opportunities now to invest in, I suppose, build your bags, if you will. Um, But you slowly add more um, crypto to your portfolios. I think this is a window to do such. Builders are out there building. There's a lot of activity in this market um, in terms of new developers coming in, uh new opportunities being created and there will be a new category that will come out of this um downturn uh it will clean up the system and the great thing is look i was just in 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 at blockchain week in korea and you go there this is where terra luna you know the big ust you know sort of monolithic blockchain layer one entity collapsed um and you go. It, it, it is. I think the market cap that it had at its peak was somewhere in the fifty billion dollars, right? And that was wiped out pretty much in three or four days. And there was no backfall. There was no backstop. There was no Federal Reserve coming in to bail out. There was no Bank of New York coming to bail out. It was. It crashed and it cleaned out the system. And the momentum in Korea, this is a Korean entity with a lot of Korean support and backing. And then you have Korean blockchain week where everybody's, okay, yeah, I've got my wounds. I've, I lost a lot of money. We all lost a lot of money, but let's, what's next? Well, how do we go back and build this? Let's go back and earn our money back and, and make up for it again. And I think you're seeing that momentum is going to trickle through, whether it's going to take in the next few months through to the end of the year. To, to turn that around, I don't know. But there are some big companies uh, really building in this environment uh, right now. And, um, you know, I think DeFi is definitely a way to go. Decentralized finance, which is non-custodial, you your keys, your coins, um, those are areas. You look at projects like Aave that really stood its ground and proved um, it, its worthiness out there. Uh, during projects like this, uh, Uniswap, which is a big exchange that allows for the trading of that, are we going to see a bigger migration across into that? You know, the NFT, the Metaverse world is really interesting, and we're just at the beginning from a gaming market and a uh, a JPEG market um, to move into dynamic NFTs to identity management associated with your NFT. Um, etc. So there's a number of interesting you know, areas that are really going to blossom. Have we seen the tokenization of a lot of the real world assets? That is still a super early stage. We haven't even seen that take off. And I think there's lots of different opportunities that are out there. And where I look, when I do investment, is what is the developer activity around these specific products? What is the uh commitment to these specific projects? And the more applications, the more services, the more activity associated with a given protocol, the more likely that crypto asset is going to become um yeah, sustainable and a long term uh prove to uh Uh, be of greater utility value to the community. And as such, the demand for their crypto is going to go up for their tokens.
0: I hope so. Do you think the sector can reach record highs again? I mean, Bitcoin touched, what was it, 67,000 last year. Do you think we could see that again? Or is it going to, you know, kind of level out?
1: For sure. We're going to see those highs again. And we're going to go past those highs. If you think about the, the, the supply of Bitcoin, alone is 21 million coins we're maybe at about 19 million today Um, so there's not going to be many more minted and that means that people are looking to hedge themselves against inflation they might buy more bitcoin and hodl their bitcoin Um, and people that are hodling their bitcoin which is hold on for dear life to your bitcoin as much as you can whilst you hodl that and hold those coins you're taking them out of the trading market so it's getting harder and harder to trade and buy that inflation hedge, um, and so it's yeah, the price is likely to go up as the demand and the confidence in Bitcoin is only growing, and and then you're, you're seeing that across Ethereum and and other chains that are are, are coming out and, and providing more block space, which is real estate in the Web three world.
0: What about? I mean, I I kind of like Cardano because you know I think it's got. Some really, you know, innovative things that it's doing, um, and think of it in in the long term, you know, as a hodl. But I mean, for example, that's you know, it's been struggling, you know, for quite some time. Um, I think to to reach its potential, perhaps.
1: I mean, Cardano's, you know, it's a it's a great project. It's yeah, it's 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 trying to develop a lot. It's it's built in a a very sophisticated programming language. Um, which will require a subset of the developers. If you think about it, a lot of the people engaging in this Web3 world, building out projects on Web3, are software engineers. There are worldwide about 26 million, 26 to 30 million software engineers uh, worldwide that understand programming languages and so that's in aggregate across all the different languages that are available there from coming back to your networking software developers through to your database software developers to your application software developers and within the application category you have a number of different programming languages that a lot of these developers use javascript being the number one of the top Preferred languages, you then have Rust, you then have Golang, you then have Haskell, right? And and Cardano has opted to use a programming language called Haskell. Um, and how many developers worldwide of you think if you think about the 26 million that I mentioned are using Haskell number one. And if you think of the 26 million total, there's about in the Web3 world, there's about 18,000, 15,000 to 18,000 software engineers working on Web3. and so Now, I need to take those 18,000 Web3 developers and look at what are the development choices of those. Anybody coming in new into Web3 is going to make a need to make a decision, where do I go to learn and build out my first experience in Web3? And If I look at that, um, Solidity and Ethereum Virtual Machine has the biggest footprint. It has tooling, it has um, contracts available on GitHub that makes it easy for developers to get up to speed there, and and, and it has a lot of support in terms of communities. If you have a problem, you can go and reach out to and get immediate uh, turnaround. Um, so, any new developer of the 26 million interested in coming into the 18, joining the 18,000 Web3 developers is going to look at most likely, I believe, at least Solidity as its first landing point. The other programming language that is super popular is the Rust programming language used by the likes of Solana, um, Polkadot, uh, Near Protocol. And so, you've got a big base there. With very popular layer one blockchains, and so Cardano is is trying to carve out a niche, which is very um, you know it's functional programming, which is high end um, uh, engineering talent. Uh, it's it's really solid. It's safe. It's a really um, strong programming language uh, for, but it requires a strong skill set uh, amongst the developers, and so. I think that's just going to take time to grow that. And um, my view on Cardano and the perspective is they're taking the right strategy, going very much through the academia to find that talent and ensure that that talent coming out of academia joins the Cardano uh, development. But that takes time, right? That's that's going to grow. Um, And over time and get more and more solid and the benefits you will see we will see further down the road
0: so i'll just have to keep hodling then
1: yep i guess
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i think i think kind of I, i kind of figure that hodl is the best kind of attitude at the moment um you know as a strategy you know just keep holding on to it as you mentioned you know there's only a certain amount for example of bitcoin um and if you're holding on to that then you know the longer you have it, the the more profit you're going to be making from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, and there are ways that, as a part of hodling, that you can still earn yield on the coins that you hodl on a non-custodial basis. And one of the best examples for that is is staking, right? So, in a lot of these new networks that are growing, are proof of stake networks. Uh, you can allocate your tokens to a validator node that then will reward you for securing that specific blockchain and then they will reward you in the form of um token rewards for supporting that blockchain and by doing that you can earn anywhere up to 20 18 15 percent in the coin the reward is in the coin that you love and huddle right and so Um, so if you, if you really love Cardano and you're holding Cardano, stake that Cardano, the ADA tokens and earn, I don't know what ADA is offering at the moment, but I'm sure it's offering anywhere between six to eight, 10% reward on Cardano and you can in Cardano. So that's a, a simple, safe way to, um, Stake your your coins here. I'm just looking at this.
0: I think uh, I'll definitely I'll I might set a few things up tomorrow. Um, yeah, see how it goes as an experiment.
1: Yeah, why not? Right. So here, Cardano actually only pays you four percent, three point six percent APY reward for helping secure the network, and seventy percent of the Cardano holders are staking.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, you contrast that, for example, if you're in Polkadot and you have Polkadots, you could be earning 14% rewards for securing the network, and you'd be joining 50% of the Polkadot token holders in providing and securing the Polkadot chain.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Do you reckon, would you say it's better to stake all of what you have or just a, a percentage of it?
1: I would I mean I would start with a percentage of it sort of a percentage where you feel you you don't want to give up that percentage and and you just want to huddle that and you want to hold that um I would generally try and put up I I gen, I mean yeah um 50 50% or or however much you want to allocate if you know you're not going to sell that within the next year you just want to huddle it then I would put that proportion into earning rewards on the chain and one and that's why we launched a service called trustednode.io where it's very easy it's got a nice user interface it's all non-custodial so your keys your coin and we point you to a trusted validator node that will pass that reward on to you and yeah you just connect your wallet and you stake it whichever wallet you have that is relevant to that chain And then you stake your funds into that and you get a nice, clean, aggregated dashboard with an overview of all your coins across multiple chains um, staked and what your rewards are associated with that.
0: That sounds really interesting. Stefan, finally, I want to talk to you. You wrote in one of your recent columns for us that crypto can be used as a hedge against inflation. Can you just, for our listeners explain your reasons for that and how it can help them to preserve the value of their money, you know during you know this rising cost of living crisis that everybody's going through at the moment?
1: One of the things that we're finding is big question, right? Um, Bitcoin was established as, in my view, the ultimate inflation hedge, right? When two thousand and eight came by the world financial crisis, We had a lot of governments bailing out a lot of these institutions, these financial institutions. And as a result, they were printing large wads of money. COVID came out. We printed a lot more money as well. Um, And the emission schedules associated with a lot of this printing of money. Whilst it was here to save the economy and under the premise of saving people's jobs, um, it was and saving um the economy and the jobs. It was ultimately resulting in the fact that these diluting people that were holding US dollars value. Um, a lot more dollars came into circulation, and the dollars that I had were being diluted with this new supply coming into the market, ultimately leading to a 10 10% inflation rate. Um, and what does that mean that means that my purchasing power in overall reduces by 10% every single year so um and in certain categories inflation was in the 50 60% right um where all of a sudden the gas at the gas tank was you know a double the price um that i was getting and that doesn't take into account shrinkflation which was happening where the size of the products that you would buy for $10 was all of a sudden no longer one kilogram or um, uh, ten o- you know, 20 ounces. It was then all of a sudden 15 ounces or 500 grams or whatever it was. It was just reduced in size, but the price was the same. And why is crypto a hedge? Ultimately, Bitcoin stepped in out of the original premise. Look, there's only 21 million. This is how the supply gets broken down, and this is how it's going to be emitted into the market. Over time, and we have the happening that's happening every single sort of every four, three to four years. And so you can then actually see what the emission is, and it's planned and scheduled, and nobody can change that because there are all these miners that are ensuring that that process is adhered to and that governance model is adhered to. That Bitcoin model has translated into. All these other blockchains that have an emission schedule, that have a token allocation, and that is what's happening. And so ultimately, you have a bit of an inflation hedge. Um, Whilst a lot of the coins are inflationary because there's more supply coming into the market all the time, um, there is um, a flat coin concept that we have been working on, where what we're trying to do is say, Here's inflation. Let's peg a currency to inflation. So the dollar that you earned and worked hard to earn retains the value associated with what you need to buy on a day-to-day basis in order to ensure and protect your purchasing power. And that's sort of the concept that we've built out. And crypto allows you to do so. You have an Oracle service that's providing you day-to-day, in real time, Pricing information associated with that consumer basket. You have um, the ability to ensure a smart contract that governs the emission and the token supply in the market to adhere to pegging that value to that basket of consumer items. And so that is the ultimate inflation hedge and allows for anybody um, to protect their purchasing power.
0: Very interesting. Hopefully uh, some people will be listening to that and you know, kind of um, thinking about how they can they can do the same.
1: We're, there are a couple of us building in that area. Um, so one, one project is Nuon.fi uh, that is building out in that category. There is uh, FRAX, FPI, uh, that is building out in that category. Um, And so there are a number of small little projects that are coming out, really trying to um, build this new type of, of, of currency. And that's why I find this whole industry super interesting. It's providing innovation in a category that has been you know, in, in in money, right? We've never seen innovation in money, and it's always been excluded from every, the retail investor. It's been closed to a small circle of experts, right? And these experts have now are no longer experts because they've broken our trust. Um, and and so, where does that lead us? And this is why this innovation is so exciting. Where. All of a sudden, I can have programmable money, and I can put a lot of economics 2.0 into a lot of these smart contracts, into a lot of these new policies, these monetary policies, and taking out 50 middlemen in governments that have never been um, innovated and working on policies and frameworks that have been developed over hundreds of years ago. And they've just been layering on top of that without really taking major steps to innovate and considering we now have mobile phones, we have internet, we have electricity. You know, when they developed this stuff, electricity wasn't as pervasive as it is today.
0: No, Absolutely. It's very interesting. And I think, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think it's really positive for, you know, financial inclusion, for example, for retail investors, for, you know, kind of the regular people of this world.
1: But I do feel that for the regular people, it is important not just to FOMO in, right? Um, and and then fear of missing out in and just buy in. It is important to do your own research. Uh, what does that mean? Do your own research? So, I mean, ultimately, that's just a disclaimer saying, don't listen to me, but this is what I'm telling you to do or recommending you should do. In the end, what I'm trying to say is how do we enable Retail investors to find out how they can go and do their own research. Where should they be going to look for their own research? What sites can they trust? How can they filter out that this is not a scam? It is real. And I think you're seeing, especially in the younger generation, they're grown up with you know scam emails with all these other uh, you know, so they've got a much better feel for what is likely to be a scam versus what is uh, likely to be a bit more real. And I think it's that education that is really needed versus regulation and governance, etc. Because we can see that that's not working. That system doesn't work. So how do we invest in the right education, the right ways to do your research, where to go to do your research, how do you evaluate? A crypto project, right? And there are a lot of really good sites out there that help you. So I was talking about staking opportunity, right? So we partner with staking and trusted node. We partner with a company called Staking Rewards that goes out there and provides you with stakingrewards.com, a great overview in terms of what the chains are, uh, how much reward they pay for you, what's the market cap, what's the total value locked up in the chains. So you can go and do your research. Who are the validator nodes out there providing you with what's their credibility, what's their rating, are they verified? So you're seeing all of that from a market perspective come on to um, in real time, be able to show you where to go to do your research before you deploy your funds into, a a node or into um, a a project or buy those tokens etc
0: thank you this week to crypto expert stefan roost if you would like advice on your personal finance issues you can write to me at pf at the national.ae. and remember pf stands for personal finance Please do subscribe to Pocketful of Derems on your podcasting app to receive weekly updates and also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison and I've been your host, Felicity Glover.